Okay, everybody, uh, welcome to the Mindhunter Companion podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be covering season one, episode nine. Uh, my co host, as always, is Peter, and I am Doug. Welcome, man. Welcome, Doug. Um, I thought this was a, it's not a fun episode, but it's a really good one. It is dark, dark and complex. Yeah, kind of darkness continues, right? They kind of started being darker, a shade of darker in the last episode, and it really continues. What's the name of the guy they, they just hired again? The, um, the agent? agent? Smith. Agent Smith, that's right. How right. could I forget such a generic name? Right, yeah. They're, they're going down the rabbit hole in this one. Yeah, Agent Smith comes to roost in this one. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so we begin, this is jump right in. We begin with our uh, Dennis Rader. Uh, Dennis Rader is lying or laying in wait, however you say it, in somebody's house uh, wearing gloves and, and ready to go. And, and nobody shows up and he swing and a miss pissed. Yes. Yeah, sw swing and a pissed, I think is a better way to put it. Like he's angry. Like he's built up to this giant thing in his mind and it didn't yeah. happen. Poor, poor Dennis Rader. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, um, and then we begin with Bill and Holden, a Dairy Queen, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was well. awesome. Although if they're in the East Coast, shouldn't they shouldn't it have been a Carvel? Or maybe they were know. maybe they were outside uh, Joliet uh, on their way to meet Richard Speck, which would put them in the Midwest, which would make it Dairy Queen land. Those guys are all over the country all the time. Yeah, we didn't have we didn't have Dairy Queen growing up. We just had Carvel. Anyway, I mean, but they are the like Bill and. Yeah, no, Holden. Bill and Holden. So, and and Bill is annoyed uh, that he kind of feels like, uh, you know, as they're gearing up to meet Richard Speck, he kind of feels they, like they ran out of pineapple topping. <laughs> he kind of Bill feels like Holden is glamorizing him, and and he doesn't like it. And you can see, like, this is sort of continuing our trend that that Bill is much less endeared with these prison trips than Holden is. Like if, if if Bill could get all the information without going, you get the sense he'd never do another one. Yeah, he did, he it makes him uncomfortable, to say the um, least. And um, uh, they go in, and uh, and Holden is essentially brought in with max visibility, which is not at all what they wanted. Yeah, um, the the. Basically, the warden or the assistant warden ignores the, their request because they have sort of a standard set of instructions now when they go visit somebody that says, you know, do not sort of keep it quiet that they're coming. They don't want the inmate, the other inmates to know that they're talking to somebody. Um, they want to keep things kind of, you know, on the down low. They want to keep things quiet. Right. They don't partially that. so that they get better answers out of the subject and partially so that they don't endanger the subject if they don't want them to be seen to be talking to the feds. Um, right. And then they meet Richard Speck, who on July 14th, 1966, murdered eight student nurses. Right. And Richard Speck is not exactly like their talkative uh, prior um subjects that they've interviewed right proving once again that there's only one ed kemper <laughs> right this guy's the opposite of ed kemper he doesn't he's extremely hostile doesn't really want to talk to them 
um, sort yeah, of. Yeah, he, he, he comes in very, very angry. He says he's not crazy. He insults them. He's foul mouthed. He calls them Hoover boys. And then he yeah, is conspicuously, right? He's conspicuously got something in his hand. Yeah. It's, it's actually a little bit on the humorous side because he's so worked up and he's such a jerk that it's, it's, a, it's a little funny almost. But then, you know, it, he, he's so unpleasant that it's not funny for long and he's holding his little bird. Right. And the, and the bird is used to create a lot of tension in the scene or to ratchet up the tension because you know nothing good is going to happen to the bird. Right. And Holden's very chummy with him. Like he tries to kind of win him over. He asks to see the, uh, you know, the legendary born to raise hell tattoo on his arm, you know, and he kind of tries to butter him up a little bit. Um, and which only works to a little extent. He's still pretty hostile, whatever they try to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and then the, the, the infamous, I guess, becomes infamous Holden line where he's trying to ingratiate himself with him. And he sort of ad libs, you know, what I want to know is, you know, why, what gave you the, the serial killer, Richard Speck, what gives you the right to, take eight ripe cunts out of the world, unquote. Um, And and that line is going to become Holden's undoing. Yeah. So the end of the show, right. And he's, he's really trying to ingratiate himself. I mean, he's, he's ad libbing, right. He's trying to get spec to talk a specs so hostile. Right. And he's trying to sort of talk the lingua franca that he thinks specs going to respond to. Right, he wants him to defend himself, you know, like... Right, although Speck, he's corrects him a little bit, and he said, oh, I only had sex with one of them, Speck says. Right, so they actually do get something out of him. They get a little bit of information out of him, um, because Holden's um, attempt to engage him, it, it works to some extent. I mean, they get a little out of him, because he talks about the crime, and he tells him something that maybe is not either commonly known or maybe not known. Um, that namely he, right. He, he sort of explains why he's killing them. Namely that he didn't really know what else to do with them because they kept coming in. Right. He Um, uses the word. It just wasn't their night. (laughs) I'll say, but you know, and this leads, you know, the fact that like he doesn't have a ton of insight or the fact that so much of his killing was unplanned you know he probably set out to do one thing and then realized he had to kill all these women in his mind at least yes Um, for the moment right and then and that leads holden to say that you know some of these killers may have no idea what's behind their acts like not everyone is going to have insight or be able to comment on why they did stuff yeah i mean it sounds like from talking to him that he maybe would have killed one um, if at all, I mean, maybe he wouldn't, maybe he was just trying to rape, you know, rape a woman and ended up, you know, killing, he would have killed zero or maybe one, but the way he describes it, you get the sense that people just, the women just kept arriving because there were a bunch of, uh, nurses living or nursing students living in this house and they kept showing up and he kept sort of stashing them and basically like binding them and hiding them or tying them, stick, sticking them in closets and all over the place. And then he sort of killed them to get rid of them. Um, and it was, it was not, um, 
heavily, it was not highly organized. It was not highly pre-planned. It was not ritualized. It was nothing like some of the other killers they've seen, like, um, you know, like Kemper, who uh, had a very ritual element to to his killing. Right. Or um, Brutus. Brutus, Brutus right. is even, if anything, Brutus is more organized, right, yeah. than, than Kemper. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, they push him a little bit on this, on whether or not he attempted suicide, which they believe he did, and he denies it. And then Speck terminates the interview by throwing the bird that he's been nursing back to health into a, into a fan. Right. Needless to say, the bird does not pass through the fan unscathed. <laughs> so, it you know, that's, that's actually based on a real episode. Did you read about that? No, but you could tell that was based on a real episode. Yeah. So in real life, I read a couple of different versions of it online, but he did in fact nurse a bird to health and he was very attached to it and very protective of it. And then the 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 prison said to him, essentially, you're not allowed to have a pet. Um, and they assumed that he would let the bird go. And then he made a show of throwing the bird into a fan. And he said, if I can't have it, no one can. So he did, in fact, nurse an injured bird back to health just to murder it. Yeah. Um, oh. And then I think in, in, in perhaps the most telling moment of the episode, right, when they're done, uh, as they're leaving, you know, Bill confronts him about some of the dialogue uh, and his, uh, his, his particular expression of choice. Right. Bill uh, confronts uh, Holden. Right, right. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Uh, and, and he essentially says, lose the tape. Like he knows this yeah. is trouble. And, and this comes out of a discussion where Holden wants to not just audio tape. He wants to start videotaping these people. And right. you know, Bill is not in love with that. And Bill says, you know, lose the portion where you're ingratiating yourself. Um, and, and specifically the, you know, the, the, at the, you know, at this point in the FBI saying something like eight ripe cunts, uh, not acceptable still. And, and Bill knows too, that Wendy's going to have a problem and Wendy's going to come at them over it. Like there's a bit where after they leave, they're on the plane and they're, they're kind of arguing about it. But, you know, Holden says your attitude is going to bite you in the ass. And he's totally correct. Like right. Holden knows, like, this is bad. We can't go this direction. You know, you wonder why Bill didn't just wreck the tape himself or wipe it or throw it in the trash somewhere. Yeah. But, you know, it's another example about illustrating how Bill, he's been in, you know, he's a real veteran, right? So he, he knows the lay of the land back at, in uh, Quantico. Um, and uh, he has a feeling it's going to cause problems. He just says, you know, just erase that portion. Um, and so naturally that doesn't happen. <laughs> and it goes <laughs> no. to the, and so, you know, guess who gets to transcribe all of the tapes that come in from their interviews, but agent Smith, the new guy also known as what is it? The reverend or the priest or right, exactly. not the guy you want in behavioral science. Wait, but before we get to agent Smith transcribing, we do have to acknowledge that there is um, a dialogue free scene after they land back in, um, back in DC or Virginia where Holden is walking down the street and he sees Debbie at the laundromat. 
Right. And they see each other through the glass. And there's this sort of moment where like, it's unclear what's going to happen. And she looks sort of regretful, but she doesn't say anything. And then he walks into the laundromat um, to sort of suggest that maybe they're not totally done yet. And then we get to agent Smith uh, who's uh, clack, clack, clacking away on the, on the uh, typing up the transcript. Right. That, that their interaction implies some, perhaps reconciliation or attempted reconciliation. And Wendy provides her usual helpful analysis. She acknowledges that the tattoo is Speck's way of branding himself as a badass. Um, and she thinks that all of his acts are spontaneous. And perhaps again, there's not a lot, uh, there's not a lot to learn from him. Right. Except learning about the category, which he represents, which is, uh, a certain type of killer that um, doesn't that that is not uh, highly organized and is not really sort of this the the mainstream kind of alternate killer that has uh, that that's going to kill long term in a consistent way and and be unable to stop. Um, in the same way as, as the other people they're profiling. Right. And Speck was so crazy that, you know, he couldn't do much. He couldn't go along without getting caught. Right. Um, but, but uh, Holden tells agent Smith something very important as he's clack, clack, clacking away. Right. He tells him to revise basically, you know, you might want to lose the part in the beginning. Right. Because, because we see that originally he had typed it out. Correct. Of course. Um, <laughs> And then um, he sets about retyping it. Yeah, he says, you know, he types something like tape garbled or something. Tape malfunction or garbled or something like that. Yeah. Um, But of course, it's still on the tape. And more important, Smith knows it's there. Right. Right. And Smith, you know, he's not the guy you want. You know, you know, Padre... Is, is he's not the guy you want <laughs> knowing about this or having anything to do with it. This guy is, he's, you know, it's just, it's not a good idea. You know, maybe if, it, if agent Smith weren't there, he wouldn't have to destroy the tape necessarily. But the fact that when Bill is talking about that, it's like, if there's anybody who shouldn't hear that, it's, it's agent, agent Smith. Smith. Right, who's the transcriptionist because he's low man on the totem pole and he has to sit there and transcribe everything. But what I'm confused about is, so why would Wendy truly be upset about that when Wendy is highly, you know, motivated and professional? Like, why would she think that, why would she be upset about it? I mean, maybe she'd be a little annoyed that he, again, kind of, he goes off the program so easily. In other words, he is not just trying to stick to her transcript, her um, questionnaire, pro- her programmed interview format, but immediately tries to, uh, or almost immediately tries to ingratiate himself with Speck or with the serial killer to, to uh, get more information out of them in a way that he finds interesting. Um, but why would she really be offended? I mean, if anybody is, quote, uh, a more modern or enlightened or relaxed or socially accepting person. It should be Wendy. Right. But they're worried about her. 
I, th- yeah. I think that they're always worried that she's not going to approve of their methodology, especially Holden, because she hasn't in the past. Yeah. Um, in that same scene, uh, interestingly, Bill comes up with the term serial killer, uh, which is sometimes attributed to Robert Ressler, who Bill is based on. Uh, although Rob Ressler's actual term that he came up with, I looked it up, is serial homicide. The term uh, serial killer, I, I guess for, uh, for academic purposes, is believed to originate with an LAPD detective named Pierce Brooks. So that's the actual person who was credited with the term serial killer, although um, I think Brooks himself said that he probably thought that other people had come up with the same term independently of him. Okay. So it's sort of like make, raises the question of like, you know, who, who actually thought of it. But in, in the show, at least, it's Bill. Um, and then we cut back uh, to Holden and Debbie eating a takeout Chinese. Uh, and she's working on her dissertation or they're talking about it. Well, by the way, Barney Miller is playing on the TV in the background. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it just, you know, she's she's kind of mean to him. Like, she's pretty bitchy. Uh with him like she gives him crap about how he cleans his apartment um you know is she trying to impress him or is he you know with with her brains like they just have kind of a difficult conversation uh, and sort of in the middle of their argument they're interrupted by none other than the wife of the principal that holden essentially got fired oops yeah that's a great scene by the way and and, yeah. and and Holden goes out into the hallway and she basically conveys to, to Holden that the husband is a wreck. He can't get a job. Um, he's home all day. People, you know, are saying terrible things about him. They're calling him kitty fucker. And, and just like the bird is in Speck's hand to create tension in another scene, in this scene, Debbie is standing in the door, listening and visible to create tension in this scene. Sort of the same idea, like an extra element thrown in to ratchet up the tension. Uh, and and uh, the principal's wife, you know, basically assumes that Debbie is Holden's wife. And then when, when she's corrected and they say, oh, she's not my wife, you know, she says to Debbie, well, there's still time for you or something like that. Like, don't right. marry this guy. Like, this is a bad guy. Like, he destroyed my husband's life. Yeah. Um, that might be the best. I think that might be the best scene in the episode. Like that's a complex scene to pull off because you've got three players all at once with different motivations. And, and it's, yeah, it achieves extremely high level of tension and discomfort. Um, right. And it's, and it's, you know, it's Holden's at a character. His, he's, you know, he's not wearing his jacket and tie, his shirts untucked. He's, you know, like he's, I think he's even in socks in the hallway. They're vulnerable. I mean, they're at their house. They're yeah. you know in the hallway. They they're just were. Their takeout. By the way, their takeout looks pretty good. Um, <laughs> I gotta get the number yep. of that menu under the door. You know, well, we have good takeout in DC. <laughs> uh, but it's a. I, I I thought for me that was the best scene of the entire episode, just because it highlights and it foreshadows the the second half of the episode because it highlights that a lot of what. Holden is doing is very much in a gray zone, right? Like his terminology with spec, very much a gray zone. His behavior with Agent Smith, telling him to rewrite the transcript, sketch, right? Getting the principal fired, maybe not the right thing to do. Like that's all left unresolved. Like we don't know if the principal was going to be a pedophile or or wasn't in the end. 
Yeah. Right. So like again and again and again, when, when Holden gets off the reservation, there are consequences, right? And there's a piper to be paid. He's not good at being sketch because he should have deleted the tape. Right. Yeah. Well, and again, like you said, you know, Smith is not the guy to have there. Nope. Um, and then we, I think this is the end of the kitty cat arc after the, uh, after the scene with, uh, Holden and Debbie and the principal's wife, we see, um, we see Wendy in the basement and the, uh, the cat has gone. The cat has not returned to eat the can of tuna that she left for it. Yeah. And again, I told you that if you look this up, this is meant to symbolize that the cat has been murdered by a child, like some nascent serial killer, right? Who's out there hurting animals. I can't um, even believe that. But anyway, that's what the showrunner said. But I'm telling you, I think that 99% of viewers didn't get that and probably just thought that it was something there to be creepy. I sure did. And I thought it was something more about Wendy. No, I, I, I didn't. I won't lie to you. I did not figure that. And I kept wondering where that was supposed to be going. Like I had to look it up to get that. I, again, I wouldn't have arrived at that. No, I honestly, I thought it was something about Wendy's character development or Wendy's, you know, there's a little bit of an arc of Wendy outside of work. You know, I thought that was part of that. I, I had and maybe no it's idea. to show that Wendy's not so cold, like the idea of caring for a stray cat appeals to her because most of the time the Wendy we see is pretty cold. And even, for example, when we saw her with her partner up in Boston, you know, she wasn't too warm and friendly, granted that her partner was being kind of an asshole to her. I think it's just foreshadowing Wendy's future as a crazy cat lady. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We cut back to the basement. Uh, We discover that now Holden and Bill and company have a fax machine, which is big technology. (laughs) Um, Costs like five grand. um, And they, uh, they, they get information about a 12 year old girl in Georgia. Uh, who is uh, abducted and murdered. And that's actually uh, based on Mary Stoner, who was the girl in real life. Right. And then they make a trip down to Atlanta. Sorry, not Atlanta. Uh, Adairsville, Georgia, where um, in, in pretty short order, they are able to kind of put together that it might have been the guy who was trimming trees around the power line. Yeah, they're back to demonstrating a high degree of expertise yeah. and, and utility. Um, and this is just sort of done as kind of like a quick little one-off. Like they go down there and in about 10 minutes of show, maybe even a little less, uh, from the time they get the facts to the time that they wrap up the case down there, um, that whole thing is kind of settled up. Right, which, and they, they kind of settle on a potential suspect. Right. And then uh, they head back to Quantico where we uh, are visited or, or find out that the OPR, the Office of Professional Responsibility, is now on the case because a f- complaint has been filed. Was it filed by the prisoner spec himself? I don't remember. Um, Richard Speck files a complaint Accusing Ford of, quote, fucking with his head, close quote. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then there's a tale of the tape, right? Um, And Smith, Agent Smith, lies in front of Shepard. 
Well, right. So they, they get interviewed by the, the OPR reps who, by the way, at the end of the interview, they turn off the tape and they're like, this guy's nuts. You know, they're, t- they're completely <laughs> on Ford's side. Right. When the tape is, when the tape is rolling, they can't show it. But the minute the interview is over, they refer to spec as a shit stain. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, but meanwhile, in the interview, agent Smith looks like he's going to have a seizure every second. I mean, he's like, the sweat is just like rolling off of him. The entire, he looks so guilty. And when they, they, one thing he, you know, he, he volunteers that the tape was erased because they go over the tapes and it's a confabulation. Um, right. They, and they all kind of essentially lie to the OPR in one way or another. They just lie through their teeth. They kind of do, but, but it's even in that scene, Holden's pretty cool about it and it looks like they're going to get away with it. Whereas Smith barely, barely keeps his composure. Like he looks like he's going to bust it. He's going to, there's just going to be a, an explosive decompression at any point in that interview. And when he has to lie, you, you really think that the guy's just, he's going to run out of the room screaming. Um, he looks miserable. And they, don't they go straight from there down to the, they go back down to the basement and there's Shepard. <laughs> right. And Wendy, right. And Wendy. Wendy wasn't in that meeting, right. The right. three of them were there. And I think it's on the way down. I could be wrong, but I think it's on the way down after the OPR meeting, after they, you know, after the guys call spec a shit stain, you know, Bill says, quote unquote, burn the fucking tape. Right. Right. And, oh, sorry. Shep, sorry. That's in the meeting with Shepard. They get down to the basement and then Shepard and Wendy are there. And then, yeah. And then they realize that uh, Holden et al. have just lied to the OPR. Right. right because and, they, and they found ordered, the tape. They ordered uh, Agent Smith to redact it. Right. They decide it's better. And, and Shepard says, you know, I've never been put in this position in my career because he's a straight arrow. And, but he decides, you know what, we're going to just sweep it under the rug. Not really that big a deal in a sense, even though this having to make this call repels him. The actual subject matter with this guy's spec is probably not very significant. And he says, you know, bury it. Right. So Actually, decide, I, I think, I think that, you know, Shepard has a great line in the scene. He says, we're not going to speak about this anymore. We will protect the unit. Like Shepard agrees right. to go along with the lie. Yes, he does. He he says, "Let's get rid of this." Right. He's uh, like, even though it's repugnant. Right, and and don't do it again. And I will look the other way. And I know that you guys are crossing a line a little bit. In the entire meeting, Wendy is glaring at Holden. Um, and I yeah. think it's it's a it's in that meeting that Bill says, "Burn the fucking tape," and Shepard agrees. And then right. the episode ends with uh, Agent Smith uh, basically, you know, becoming a, a bomb thrower. <laughs> yeah, it's a real forehead slapping moment watching him as he pulls the tape out of his desk, writes, you know, addresses an envelope to the, the OPR office, right? The Office of Professional Responsibility, the Department of Justice, and he nails <laughs> the tape off. You know, I mean, talk about. Uh, I mean, Tattletale is not even, I mean, is just a bad move, really bad move. And I, I you know, I, I guess the implication is, you know, he says during the meeting, he admits to Shepard that he outright lied to the OPR and he yeah, doesn't he, like it. 
Yeah, and he he thinks he's he's going to go. He, he's terrified. He thinks he's going to be found out. He's going to be destroyed. Um, someone's going to know he lied. He can't believe he's in the, the situation, and he's he's so terrified that he basically just wants to spill his guts. He's pretty much like the most uncool partner you could ever have. Um, you know, for for Holen and uh, and Bill. Yeah, I mean, it's an upsetting ending because, you know, the whole show has been tough. Like the interview with Speck is tough. Uh, the meeting with the principal's wife is tough. All this back and forth. They get interviewed by OPR. They get caught by Shepard. Wendy is disappointed with them. Like it's just a, it's a straight downhill course, this episode. And then it culminates in Agent Smith essentially selling out the team, right? Or betraying yeah. the team for because of his own guilty conscience. When, right. when, when their immediate boss has already said, it's okay, let it go. Right. That, that's what's awful about it. Because not only is it his own guilty conscience, it's sort of out of this weird terror, this weird kind of guilty terror that he does it. I mean, it's really kind of pathological that he does that because at that point his boss who got him that job because he's like what is he's like his son-in-law or something or no it's his buddy's his buddy's son yeah you know after that guy basically goes through a very explicit shepherd right his mentor goes through a very explicit explanation about how they're going to protect the unit and why they're just going to they're going to whitewash it and just get rid of it and provides it a very good a rational explanation for his actions. Um, Smith just turns around and, and, and he's so fablunged and, <laughs> you know, that's that good. He has to mail the thing. He's that screwed up. He's got to mail this, this tape at that point. You know, screwing Shepard also, like just, he, it's completely right, screwing ridiculous. Wendy, screwing Bill, everyone, yeah. screwing himself. Everybody. Everybody. Right, that's it's what I like mean. Like when I say, like move. he becomes a bomb thrower. Like, right? He's yeah. wants to bring the whole thing down. Right. So, by the way, time to get rid of Agent ending. Smith. <laughs> time to reassign <laughs> yeah, him. <laughs> like yeah. I heard that the field office in like Butte, Montana, needs an agent. <laughs> <laughs> nice job, Shepard. Bringing that Thanks guy for there. Nothing. <laughs> and so we'll see what happens next time. I mean, I think, I think really this is one of like, one of the toughest episodes to watch, you know, it's just because they're just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. You like, it's like they say, like, have you ever heard, you know what the first rule of holes is? Have you ever heard this? No. Like when you're standing in a hole, stop digging, right? And like <laughs> right. they just keep digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper as the episode goes on. Yeah. And then Agent Smith starts digging with a jackhammer and a backhoe. <laughs> simultaneously like that guy is right and he hits a gas line <laughs> yeah yeah right and like while he's smoking a cigarette yeah <laughs> that guy like that ending you just you want to i mean it is a real you really want to scream at the television you know but you know it shows you it's it's good television like the fact that it, great. it gives you uh you know that strong of reaction to it yeah, it's, um, it's, it's terrific. Yeah, no question. You're involved. You care. Who directed this episode? This is episode nine. This is, this is directed to, by Fincher. 
Yeah, it's back to Fincher. The last he comes yeah, back. He, on he directs the last, the last two. So this is another Fincher directed episode. Um, and you know, and it's funny because they could have done a whole episode of the twelve year old girl in a Daresville, you know, but that that's like yep. an afterthought in this episode. Like that's how much happens in this show that they solve a whole other case, essentially. Yeah, yeah in like um, two minutes. Um anyway um well up next is our season one finale episode 10 yep um so coming up soon and uh, we'll be back with that uh next week see you then all right thanks man